Hello, and welcome to Gut Health and Happiness with the Chuckling Goat Girls. I'm Sean Jones, and I have two of my gorgeous grown-up daughters here, Ellen Armstrong and Julie Gord. Harris Colvin, who's usually with us, is off doing a family activity this week, and so it's nice to have Julie here. Joan, lovely to have you. Wonderful to be here. So this is always an excuse to just have a chat, really, because we don't see each other as much as we'd like to. So this week, we thought we would talk about de-stressing with nature. Because, of course, it's a thing. Everybody's stressed out. I think coming out of lockdown, everyone is eager to get back into nature, and everyone is suffering anxiety and sleeplessness and all those kind of problems. So part of gut health and happiness is getting out into nature, getting your hands dirty, reconnecting with all of those things. And there are some very specific ways that uh, getting out into nature and specifically gardening can make you feel better, make you feel happier, make you feel healthier. And so that's what we want to talk about this week, give you some tips and ideas um, and even recipes that you can get out into nature, get your kids out into nature and start feeling better. So as it happens, uh, Julie has just completed a dissertation in therapeutic gardening. Is that right, Joe? What's the actual working title? So it's therapeutic gardening focusing on community gardening, which would mean gardening in a group setting. And usually how it happens is that there will be a site, perhaps it's at a school or it's part of a church, or it's simply a little plot that's been cordoned off from your local park that will be managed usually by volunteers and a group will come together on a regular basis, plant vegetables and herbs and enjoy each other's company. Nice. So you don't have to have a garden. You don't have to have your own garden. Uh, wherever you live, you could potentially be involved in something like that. Are there a lot of these things around? Exactly. So most towns and villages, especially if they have a town hall, and boroughs if you're in an urban area like London, there will be little pockets and you may be surprised at how small and dense they are. There can be a, a lot of life, both social and natural green life, going on in a very small amount of space. Um, it's really worth looking on Facebook for your local area's community garden. And there are, there's a variety of societies you could probably get in touch with as well, like the Horticultural Society, the Botanical Society. Okay. So what's so great about it? Why should people take the trouble to do that? Great question. Well, we've been gardening since we were a species. We're really finely tuned to, one, the natural forms that we see in nature. And it can be, it can be de-stressing to just look at natural forms and there's actually really good science on the fact that people that are in hospital that have a view of a tree outside their window will require fewer painkillers and will go home sooner. Wow. So it has a direct impact on your emotional state through your, through your senses. These places are usually quieter, even if they are in an, in, surrounded by an urban hubbub. They're usually places of a slight bit of sanctuary. And essentially... The activity of gardening has three components. We've got the, it's increasing your social health, your physical health, and your emotional or mental well-being. Um, and those are mediated through gentle physical activity, um, through the increase in, in foods like fruits and vegetables and herbs that you're probably eating, and the fact that you're enjoying other people's company in a non 
directed, stressful ways, and it's outside of your normal context. So is there science around the ways that gardening can actually help, or is this just one of these airy-fairy ideas? It's a relatively young field, and researchers are kind of, they're, they're doing an initial scope. So there are some groups looking at the actual biochemical ways that our immune systems are enhanced. And that will be an increase in cells that both sort of manage infections and manage inflammation. The inflammation will be dropped and your immunity to infection will be raised. And there's also the sort of clinical scoring. So people will be asked to garden and get, they'll be given a questionnaire on sort of levels of anxiety that they're feeling. And pretty universally, those were dropped mm. after, after people gardened over a, a period of time. But it doesn't actually take that much. So these people would be doing maybe an hour a week. Wow. Okay, cool. Now, Ellie, you are in the fortunate position of having access not only to our farm and your own fields and your own garden. And of course, you've got a little girl. So tell us a little bit how you're um, getting Isabella outside and what kind of results you find with that. Yeah, um, we do try to get outside at least once a day for my sanity as well. Um, I think just being outside in the fresh air, it just clears your mind a little bit, especially if the kids are maybe having an off day. Um, I think we all know that that means an absolute meltdown, possibly. Um, It's good to just get them outside. I really do find that it instantly settles them. It's a change of scenery, but it's not in a confined space again. They just have all this space to play around. Um, and especially where we are, as we've said, we're very lucky in the sense that I can let her go quite a distance from me and I know that she's still safe. What we do a lot is um, mud kitchen play. Mm. So I get old kitchen saucepans and utensils, uh, little cake, um, silicone cake, uh, what are they, moulds. And then I just have, make sure that she's got plenty of soil around, some compost, some leaves, some flowers. Um, For instance, when I trim the bay tree, I just pop those next to her as well. And she will sit there for ages making mud cakes, getting dirty, sitting and kneeling on the grass. And I love it because I'm not fussed about her getting dirty or getting mud all over her clothes. Everything can be washed. And I just feel like, she's a lot calmer if she's doing something like that. And I'm calmer as well, because I'm also sat outside watching her enjoy. And after she's done it, it tires her out too. So win-win. And also she likes to help me weed the planters. And she's pretty good actually, because we've been doing it from quite a young age. She won't pick any of the flowers. She won't pull at um, plants that I've planted. Um, I can point out the weeds and she'll, she'll grab them one by one. And she enjoys just being outside. We do that even if it's raining. She's got a puddle suit, little ducky puddle suit and her wellies. Pop it on and get out for half an hour. It makes the world of difference. Mm-hmm. It's actually um, National Children's Gardening Week. Oh, perfect timing. Then. Yeah, I did a little post on our Chuckle and Goat Instagram about the mud kitchen and about weeding the planters. I was oh, just... Yeah, just little tips that maybe other parents can do. It doesn't need to be major. 
you're not expecting them to plant a flower garden at one years old, um, but little things that they can do outside so that you start them young. Because as you've said, Joe, it's de-stressing. It's great for your mental well-being. It's gentle aerobic exercise. So it's definitely something that I am trying to instigate now, as opposed to expecting her to suddenly be interested when she's a teenager. That's just not going to happen. So yeah, we're trying to. Yeah. Sorry, Joe. What did you say? I can imagine there are more things going on there too, like um, getting her used to loads of different textures and shapes and temperatures and yeah getting really muddy is great great for my environment it's very sensory isn't it which is ideal for children yeah i'm thinking about the the microbiome component of it um they call those bacteria that we find in soil our commensal old friends and there's actually something called the old friends theory and what it says is that as we got more and more interested in being clean we kind of developed this idea of sterile, which is it's a misnomer. You're never going to achieve it. You're never going to be sterile. If you were sterile, you would be dead. You know, if you sterilize your entire gut right now, that's it. You would die. So our attempts to be sterile, all they've done is just killed off a bunch of the bugs that we rely on. And so our commensal old friends are, they evolved with us when we were out in the wild, making fires, getting dirty and so on. Um, and we need that. So anytime you've got a kid out in the mud, getting dirty, eating mud, yeah. you know, there's, I, I think it's Josh Axe has a great book called Eat Dirt. And that's what we literally, we all need to get dirty and eat dirt and get our hands in the dirt because that puts those good bacteria back into our system. I know. I this had is a question for you. Sorry. Sorry, Joe. I just had a question. I wondered if you knew about this. Um, or whether it's not true. I did read that there are certain bacterias in certain soils or certain earth that actually increases your serotonin. Yes, there are really positive, helpful, beneficial bacteria in those. In okay, those so that was true. Yeah, I read it in the process of um, looking about the National Children's Gardening Week, and I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. Um, though you're doing uh, something else that's really interesting, for, especially for people who don't maybe have their own spaces, you're doing foraging. Yes. So I teach foraging. And how I've come to think about it is that it's sort of like gardening on a grand scale. And there is an interesting hypothesis that actually, when we talk sort of historically about hunter-gatherer societies, they were more like hunter-gardeners because the spaces that are the most diverse on Earth, including the Amazon rainforest, for example, there's evidence that the people that lived there actually gardened and sort of encouraged certain species and discouraged others. So it's not a sort of, it's not agriculture as we know it, but it's horticultural agriculture in a sense. Mm. And there's no reason that we can't do that in this day and age. Um, there's been movements such as gorilla gardening and things like that, but Take a walk around your local park and just start to look for the different leaf shapes. And it can be a fun activity with kids, I imagine, as well. That you say, you know, go find a long leaf and a round leaf and a spiky leaf. And the, the names of plants, like dandelion. We all know dandelion. And uh, you can talk about why it's called tooth of the lion. That's what it means. Um, I think it's a, it's a Latin, dandelion. Um, and it has these, these sort of spiky leaves. And, that plant is a really amazing thing for kids to get to know because 
You can eat the leaves, you can eat the flowers. If you really want to, you can eat the root. And dandelion root coffee is available in some health food shops now. Um, it's only coffee because it's dark and bitter. <laughs> there is not really any other similarity going on. But that's a really helpful caffeine-free alternative um, if you're looking to decrease your caffeine intake, um, increase your intake of prebiotics. They contain a lot of um, polysaccharides and part of sugars that uh, your microbiome likes to eat. Um, and by putting a little bit of dandelion leaf and flour into your salads, for example, um, making a flour salad, you're, you're getting a yellow and a green in, part of your eating the rainbow. Mm. And kids that things are safe to eat um, and that your, your food grows all around you. In a sense. Um, and that, I love I mean, that. And, and, and for me, like part of, part of the de-stressing nature of nature is, know, is knowing it. In English, we only have one word for knowing, but in Welsh and Spanish and, and German too, um, there's two words. There's one sort of knowing a fact and there's one like to know someone or know a place. Um, and that is a really calming thing for me to, to, know, to know a place in the way that you sort of know a person. And because it has to do with connection, maybe. Exactly. And I mean, so we can we can get microbes that give us serotonin directly from the soil. But that sense of meaning and connection is serotonin as well. In a sense. So yeah. it's like experiential medicine, it's pharmacologically active experience. That's a lovely idea. I love the idea of the flower salad, too. So tell us more about that. If you're um, going to forage or going to take your kids out, how can you safely pick um, and eat some flowers. Exactly. So safety is your number one stop. If in doubt, leave it out. Not to pick anything that you're not 100% sure of. But usually I find, even when people say at the beginning that they've got zero foraging experience, that they actually recognize a lot of plants. And they'll have, um, they'll have lots of childhood memories that bring up a lot of nostalgia for people. So making daisy chains. Everybody mm. knows daisy that's throughout our lawns. You can eat daisy flowers. And leaves, if you'd like to. Who knew? It's also a great I didn't thing. Know that. Yeah. It's also a great thing to make into a, a bruise cream or ointment, which you can find recipes online. But that's a fun afternoon activity with the kids. Um, dandelion, obviously, everybody knows nettle, and nettle. Wear gloves when you collect it, and it's a good way to teach or to to show children how to sort of approach plants with respect, in a sense. Just because it's natural, it's not safe. And it doesn't necessarily not cause discomfort. But once you've cooked nettle, the sting goes away and it's a delicious vegetable. So things like uh, omelets or quiche or I really like a nettle soup. Um, a really, really nutritious thing to eat. Nice. And you can make nettle tea. And that's really easy if you just pick the tips of the nettles with gloves, um, put it in some water, boil it up, drink it. <laughs> and that is one of the best remedies I know. If you do it, if you do it regularly, so say two cups a day for a few months, you should see a decrease in your hay fever symptoms. Nobody that I know that has done that regularly has not seen a decrease. Wow, amazing! And we should add at this point um, that you are about to complete your training as a medical herbalist, so you are actually qualified to speak on these matters. Yes, <laughs> next Friday. Is the day? Oh, exciting. Fantastic. 
Um, Joe, let me ask you a, a sort of wider scope question as you're completing your medical herbalism training. Um, what do you know now that you didn't know before? Having spent so much time um, sort of looking at plants and studying them and learning what they can do for us, um, what's the biggest change in your kind of mindset? What a fun question. They're very specific. There are, so essentially what we're doing with herbal medicine, all plants will have some chemicals alike because they all need to live. Sort of like we all have a skeleton and we all have basic metabolic processes. But then there are, despite living right next to each other, like people, they just do totally different things. Like I'm, I'm looking right now at a little stream and there are, there's a, there's a hazel tree right next to a plant called hemlock water dropwood. And hemlock water dropwood is highly toxic, whereas hazel is highly nutritious. Most parts of the plant you can eat. Um, so a real appreciation for the intensity with which they can act on our bodies. Um, that not all herbs are right for all people. I think that's maybe one of the, one of the most major mindset changes of going through a herbalism training. You know, we, um, we have a lot of sort of wide, you know, broad stroke information, some of which is very accurate um, about, you know, this plant decreases the risk of this or does this. Um, and it doesn't actually, it isn't actually the case for every, for, for every person. People have their own constitutions. Um, you can run hot, dry or cold and wet. And the action of a whole plant extract, which is what we use in herbal medicine, um, will be very different depending on on who you are, how you are, and where you are in your life. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, really, really interesting. Um, let's just circle back for a minute to the edible flowers, because that's such a fun thing, especially at this time of year. People are getting out again into the gardens or into the common spaces. Um, what are some more flowers? What are some more fun ways people can add color and flower to their food? I actually had a question, Joe. Yeah. What about buttercups? Because I have so many in the back garden. Unfortunately, buttercups are ones you want to stay well away from. They're beautiful so to look at. Not as uh, so. Yeah, it's a real bummer. We used to put them on our chin. Do you do that here? You can't. Yeah, and see, the thing is, like if it's butter. yellow, then you like butter. Which yeah. doesn't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, at least we can do that, maybe. Okay. <laughs> so do don't. Do a little bouquet. Yeah. Okay, don't eat the buttercups. What can we eat? We can eat. So, daisies and dandelions are going to be something that I think everybody will be able to recognize. Um, again, can't stress enough. If in doubt, leave it out. But mm-hmm. highly recommend, you know, contacting a local forager to get a little bit more knowledge if you're not comfortable. Um, there is a little plant in the hedgerows called vetch. And you'll recognize it because it looks like sweet pea. It's like a wild sweet pea. And they've got little tiny purple flowers. They're delicious and they taste a little bit like peas. There are mm-hmm. hawthorn flowers. Most people know hawthorn. It's out in flower right now. And it looks like the green tree has snow all over it. It's really quite abundant in some places. Those are safe to eat. And they can taste a little bit like almond syrup. You know that coffee syrup you put in coffee? Uh, uh, almond syrup you put in coffee? 
it can taste a little bit like that. Rose is really delicious. Rose petals are nice. Rose petals are really nice. It's a bit early for those yet. Um, when they come out, blackberry petals, raspberry petals, any of your edible berries, the mm. flowers are safe to eat too. The same is true for fruit trees. So apple, pear, plum, which some people might be lucky enough to have in their garden. I've got some apple blossom at the moment. Try one of those and you'll really taste the almond. Okay, Quite. that's yeah. really good to know because... Yeah, obviously, we don't have fruit on the trees yet because the trees are quite young, but they are blossoming. But if you pick off the blossoms, then you won't get the fruit. If you just carefully pick off the petals, then yes. you'll and still get the bud. Yeah. And I mean, okay. if, you, if you want to be really careful about it, then you'll notice if you look closely at the flowers that they, the, the stamens, the, the bits in the middle, mm. yellow to begin with, and yeah. then they'll go down later in the season. And that's okay. because they've been pollinated. So if you look really closely at the flowers and just take the petals from the ones that have already gone brown, you'll ensure that you'll get a fruit. Because the, the petals end up their job of calling the insects to say, hello, come, come get me. Yeah. Okay. That's, thank you. I'll tell you something I love to put in salads. And this is a really good one to plant and to plant with kids. Nasturtiums. Oh, of course. Yes. Nasturtiums are amazing and they grow like crazy and they prefer poor soil. So if you've got, you know, if you're, if you're, if you have some, um, I don't know, a, a mound of, you know, soil on a building site, literally the, the more poor the soil, the more nasturtiums love it and they will sort of boil up and cover it over. So it's beautiful and you can eat leaves, you can eat the flowers and then the little pods taste like capers. They're so colourful as well. They're lovely to look at. And it does look really nice in a salad, doesn't it? They're yeah, stunning. I love them. That's It's fantastic. And it, give, it looks quite exotic. You know, they're, they're not. They're, they're common as anything. But uh, I took a gardening course one time and the gardening instructor was very sniffy about nasturtiums because they were so, I know, I know. It's like really snobby. And I thought, I think they're brilliant. I mean, they're colourful. They grow like crazy in poor soil. And you can eat all parts of the plant. What is to be snobby about? Exactly. Love that. Okay, I think that's a really good roundup, ladies. I think we've had some ideas, some recipes, and some ways that you can get out into the garden, whether or not you have your own space. Any final thoughts on that? Ways to make it really accessible for people with kids? I dress for the weather. Don't be afraid of getting out in the rain. We live in the UK. It's going to rain. It's going to rain through the summer as well. Don't wait for good weather. Um, just get out there and you will feel better for it. Yes, you'll have to put the clothes in the wash. And yes, you'll probably be a little bit wet and so will the kids, but they'll love it. You'll tire them out. You'll have a quieter evening for it. And on that note, next week, we're going to talk about how to get a good night's sleep. So perfect segue from having a nice evening and tiring them out to how to get a good night's sleep. We'll talk about natural things that you can do and about the way that your gut health is connected to your sleep cycles. So we'll have some good information for you next week. Um, Joey, it was brilliant to see you. Come <laughs> home for a visit. We miss you. We miss you. But thanks for all that great information and um, good luck with your exam and your final qualification for your medical herbalism training. That's exciting. Much. Really lovely. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. See Thank you. Soon. Bye. Bye.